In the early 60s, a new sound out of California began making waves. The Beach Boy. Brian Wilson helped write more than two dozen top hits. Take one. Pal, let's go, man. Here we go. Play hard and strong all the way. Let's hit real hard on that very last day flat after we're tasked in a second. Boom! Watch me on that part. Are we ready? Let's go. Stage five. Good vibration. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 67, Transcendent Tunes, Feeling Those Good Vibrations. Rhapsody in Blue by George Gershwin, 1924. Be My Baby, The Ronettes, 1963. With a little help from my friends, The Beatles, 1967. My Obsession, Rolling Stones, also 1967. And, and Johnny, Johnny Be, Be Good, Good Chuck, Chuck Berry, Berry 1959. 1959. There you go. So listen, welcome everyone to uh, Transcendent Tunes, which is another little side tributary here on the sill. We've got our Digging Words aspect and we've got our undefinable spirit undefinable spirit interviews and now we've got a new little tributary called transcendent tunes where we're going to choose a song a tune and then unpack it and look at its significance and the context in which it was created the influences of the composer mm-hmm. the writers etc and what they influenced beyond that so we're choosing a song that had a really important power in it to change the way music was listened to, etc. And that song is Good Vibrations. Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys, which came out in late 1966 as a single, Mm -hmm. just after their most famous album, Pet Sounds, which came out in October of 66, nine months in the making. Nine months in the making. And Good Vibrations itself was six months in the making. That one pop tune took $50,000 90 hours of tape, four different studios, and he patched all of that together like a collage to create this pocket symphony, as it was called, Good Vibrations. 
Actually, an incredible song. When you listen to it and you break it down and you listen to all the different sections, there's at least three distinct mm-hmm. sections with their own sonic uniqueness mm-hmm. that flows through this song. And it's a fabulous song. Sometimes um, referred to as a pocket symphony. Pocket symphony because of how lush and full-bodied mm-hmm. and the wall of sound that was Phil incorporated. Spector. Phil Spector. In fact, uh, Brian Wilson used the Wrecking Crew, which was... Uh, Session Phil's, musicians. Yeah, that were adept at creating this wall of sound. Mm-hmm. And we should mention very briefly the cost in today's dollars. Yeah, $50,000 in then, 1966. 50 to 75, yeah. Would, would have been half a million dollars today, mm-hmm. which was an unheard of amount. It's still really kind of unheard of amount. <laughs> uh, to create a song. That's why it's a transcendent tune. Yeah, in many ways, mm-hmm. in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lyrics were mostly created by Mike Love, one of the cousins of the Wilson family, Dennis and Carl, and then the other member was Al Jardine. And Dennis uh, and Carl were the brothers of Brian Wilson. That's right. And Al Jardine was a friend, mm-hmm. and Mike Love a cousin. And he wrote much of the lyrics. And according to Mike Love, when he heard the music, he thought about psychedelia, about drug-induced, Mm-hmm. about flower power and all of this stuff which was to come and really blossom summer of 67 67 yeah and then kind of moved to Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco mm-hmm. as the kind of center of that movement precursor to Woodstock precursor to Woodstock yeah. and the sound was changing there was resistance because previous to that one of his influences, Johnny B. Good, Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry. The early Beach Boy songs are really all simple rock tunes. Oh, yeah. Surfing U.S. Based on a surf, surfing theme. Bar, 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 and doo-wop, doo-wop. But then you think about good vibrations, and you can think about Rhapsody in Blue, one of his earliest influences. It was his earliest influence. Very, I mean, A yeah. song from 1924, The Origins. And the symphonic nature of that song, how lush and how beautiful it blossoms. It's one of my favorite tunes ever two compositions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Rhapsody in Blue but then you have Be My Baby as one of his influences well that would take him to the more modern day rock and roll kind of thematic uh, sounds right that yeah. was really really influential he talks about that song a lot yeah yeah absolutely and that was a Phil Spector production by the way what was Be My Baby oh was it oh yeah oh interesting the yeah. Ronettes okay yeah. so that was the wall of sound that uh, you often hear about that song had it all yeah and Brian Wilson used I don't know 12 different musicians, including Glenn Campbell, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the recording of mm-hmm. uh, Good Vibrations. And uh, yeah, he put it together in this very interesting way, where there's this moment in it, this, this sort of quiet, meditative moment, mm-hmm. and right in the middle of the song, you know, where he goes, gotta keep those love and good vibrations mm-hmm. happening with her. Yeah. Oh, the harmonies. So soft. Whether you like the Beach Boys or not, you had to respect the harmonies. Harmonies, and then it goes, yeah. ah, good, yeah. good. Right back into the harmonies, the mm-hmm. full-bodied harmony. Just wonderful, wonderful music. Well, at the time, it didn't get the press it often gets now, but you have to remember, too, that the Beatles were influenced by Pet Sounds. In fact, they attribute a lot of their production for Sgt. Pepper's as being heavily influenced by Pet Sounds. Paul McCartney calls that his favorite album of all time. Mm-hmm. And the song God Only Knows is also the song that he chose as his favorite on that album. God only knows what I'd do without you. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Remember, though, that it's an interesting sequence because back in 1965, the Beatles put out Revolver. Yep. An album that many people, including obviously the Beatle aficionados or fans, 
credit that album as being the switch from the She Loves You, I Want to Hold Your Hand days to transitioning to a whole new sound for the Beatles. What were some of the tunes on that recording? Tomorrow Never Knows, uh-huh. For No One, mm-hmm. Taxman, oh. Elnor Rigby. Oh, oh. So Brian Wilson heard this album and was completely taken aback by it. And that was instrumental in him going to the studio production mode, which he preferred to live. To being on the road. Now, yeah. he was taken aback in a positive way. Because in a taken very aback pod- usually means, oh dear, That's I don't right. know about that. But he, That's he was right. taken I, over I use that incorrectly. <laughs> he was yeah. mesmerized yeah. by the album. Right. And it was very influential in his wanting to go into a studio and record well, not and only, create Pet Sounds. Yeah, not only that, Brian Wilson was then going into a really difficult psychological part mm-hmm. of his life journey. He started to have these breakdowns and nervous disorders, and he was a recluse for two and a half years. Yeah, I think eventually he was diagnosed as effective schizophrenia. Yeah, right which he eventually overcame through the help of uh, therapy, et cetera, mm-hmm. expensive therapy. As yeah, it he used out. to hear voices a lot, mm-hmm. which affected his stage performances. Sure, yeah. And at the time of writing Good Vibrations, all of this was happening, and he was into drugs, of course, as many mm-hmm. were getting into big time. Mm-hmm. And we need to look also kind of at the general the context. Times. The times. Yeah. In the mid-60s, a hell of a lot was going pivotal, on in, pivotal. in America. Yeah. From the Vietnam War raging yeah. over there, the protests against the Vietnam War. Four major assassinations, beginning with John F. K. in 1963, mm-hmm. Malcolm X, followed by Martin Luther King, yeah. and Robert F. Kennedy in 68. I mean, major. God, God knows America needed some good vibrations. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the thing is that when the song came out, or when it was proposed to the other brothers, there was some resistance because that mm-hmm. was a radical departure from their Johnny Be Good-like earlier Surfing USA, Barbara mm-hmm. Ann. Those tunes were very simple rock and roll tunes, uh, harmonized, you know. Yeah. But this was a whole other animal. Pocket Symphony. The Pocket Symphony patched together like a collage mm-hmm. with all of these different movements, if and you And as you said, 90 hours over 17 sessions over numerous months. Yeah. Incredible, incredible. So, and then uh, apparently it begat some elements of Sgt. Pepper, didn't it? Well, the story's like this. Revolver comes out in 1965. Brian Wilson is heavily influenced by this, goes on to produce Pet Sounds. The Beatles then hear Pet Sounds, are very impressed by it, which inspires them, in part at least, to do Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So this all happens in a period of 18 months. Yeah. Or actually, yeah. it's a two-year span because from Revolver to Sgt. Peppers is approximately two years. All this happens right in the middle of the 60s. Yeah, yeah. And I think when I listen to A Day in the Life, mm-hmm. Lennon's opus, one of the greatest pop tunes one of, of my all favorites. time, if not the greatest, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle of that 
is this sudden change in tone where he patched in, or they patched in, a Paul McCartney ditty, mm-hmm. where he says, uh, woke up, got out of bed, dragged a comb across my head. I think it's head, not hair, but hair. by the way, hair, head, yeah. dragged a comb, yeah. but totally different in tone mm-hmm. to the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, they broke a lot of rules uh, yeah. regarding the traditional formats. Sure, yeah. and as did Brian Wilson, you mm. know, he brings in cellos, in that first da 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 that underbeat, that vibrational underbeat. And then he brings in the theremin, a sound of the theremin, which if people don't know what that is, it was an instrument created in 1924 by a man, a Russian, by the name of theremin, where the player doesn't actually touch the instrument. It's all waving of the hands near these electromagnetic antennae, which create this high-frequency sound that is familiar to people in horror stories, you know. Yeah. Exactly. That sort of sound. Exactly. But these guys didn't actually, Brian Wilson didn't actually use an actual theremin. They found an electro theremin that had been created and by, was used. by a musician, and they used that, mm-hmm. and it created the same kind of sound. And, and at the time, there were so many other musicians that were hitting their stride. It was really, uh, musically speaking, kind of a heroic period. Oh, fantastic. You look at the Billboard 100 of that year, mm-hmm. and it's four Beatles songs on it, three Beach Boys, a couple of Rolling Stones Bob tunes. Dylan's hitting his peak. Bob Dylan releases Blonde on Blonde that mm-hmm. year. The Doors. The Doors, yeah, they're recording their famous album with the same title. When a Man Loves a Woman, Percy Sledge, Wild Thing by the Trogs. Yeah. There are all of these. Frank Sinatra's Strangers in the Strangers Night. Strangers in the Night, that's it's right. On, it's in the top 100 of that year. Yep. You can believe it. Even these boots with his daughter. That's right. Nancy Sinatra's mm-hmm. on that list as well. You know, mm-hmm. California Dream and the Mamas and the Papas are right up there. They were either starting or peaking in that period. Peaking. The last train yeah. to Clarksville, the monkeys. Like mm-hmm. all of these musicians are at their peak in a way. And they're really vibrating. They're pumping it out. It's a music momentum. Oh, it's incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So in the midst of all that comes this kind of strange odd sort of pocket symphony by this troubled musician, Mm -hmm. which I think really is a kind of a a seed in the turning point of musical culture in the 60s. Also concept albums versus individual singles. Sure. Because you can think ahead to progressive rock Mm -hmm. and Genesis and bands like that that took whole albums as kind of symphonic movements and moving through different themes and sound tonalities mm-hmm. and playing with now, sound. albums completely took over from singles yeah and as a matter of fact this was the last number one single the beach boys produced for 22 20, years until kokomo kokomo came out 22 mm-hmm. years later so it really began to kind of dissipate the, this was the height Mm-hmm. really, of the Beach Boy phenomena. And all the rest of that is all kind of a downhill slide. Yeah, it was know? their acme. It was their acme. That's a yeah. great word, acme. Yeah. yeah. What else can we say? Oh, you what? know what I would love? I'd what? love to have Brian Wilson walk into this room so that you and I could ask him some personal questions. Well, we can do we that can? with the magic of Voxbox. <laughs> going to eclipse time here. Voxbox. So, what's your story? This is Brian Wilson. Well, welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much for coming on our podcast. We're thrilled to have you here. And we're talking about your opus work, Good Vibrations. Apparently, it was called a pocket symphony. Is that right? Good Vibrations was a pocket symphony, which my publicist, Derek Taylor, coined the phrase pocket symphony. 
in like a little three minute and 35 second pop proximity going through different stages of music, you know, like from cellos, exciting cellos to like lilting pianos and, and then going into I'm picking up good vibration and then gotta keep those. It goes through stages. So it was a record like You've Lost That Love and Feeling that went through stages of music. Gotta keep those love and good vibrations happening with her. Box, box. Yeah, Brian Wilson called that song the summation of my musical vision, a harmonic convergence of imagination and talent, production values and craft, songwriting and spirituality. Right. He realized that, I think, at the time, and I think a lot of artists do, will realize when they've created something that will outlive mm-hmm. them in many ways. They're a great moment, if you like, where the muse really came to them fully clothed. Yep. One of the things we didn't talk about at all was the influence of his father. Yeah, who was rather overbearing in the early years. I mean, eventually Brian Wilson fired him yes. <laughs> as manager. Yes. But in the early years, he was all over it and controlled them in every way, forced them to wear striped shirts like the freshmen, the four yes. freshmen did, and other clean-cut good boy American bands did. But he also worked hard for them to try to get them played on air, on the radio. And he was part of the music industry. He was in the music business. Uh-huh, yeah. So he was a natural selection at the time. Right. Uh, actually, one of the things about his father was that he would get on his case and the group's case about making the song better or performing better. Right. Apparently, he was really, really hardline in that respect. And you have to remember, these were very young guys. Yes. Brian Wilson was 19 when the Beach Boys began as the Beach Boys in 1961, before they were called the Pendletones or something. Oh, yes, that's right. These very young guys that built their entire beginnings on the fact that his brother, Dennis, was a keen surfer. Right. And, then, and that's where he the whole... He didn't surf at all. No, he didn't. Brian Wilson didn't surf <laughs> at all, but his brother was a keen surfer. And actually, yeah. his brother ended up drowning. That's at, right. At the age of 44. That's Dennis, yes. Yeah. So that was the impetus for creating that sound and the whole surf-based music Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. they were also dealing with, at the time, Jan and Dean. That's right. In fact, if you listen to Jan and Dean, I wasn't sure who was singing what. I remember listening to them on the radio when I was a young kid and uh, thinking, well, that must be the Beach Boys. The little old lady in Pasadena sounded just like the Beach Boys song. That's right. In fact, Brian Wilson's first brush with musical success was collaborating with Jan and Dean on on a tune. I don't know the tune Mm -hmm. at this point, but that was his first kind of uh, successful Mm -hmm. collaboration. The other thing I wanted to say in view of the fact that now we're legalizing marijuana here in Canada. Yeah, man. (laughs) One of the big, big discussions on this whole Pet Sounds albums was the connection or the the thought that he was heavily reliant on drugs when putting this together. In an interview, he has said many times that he was just high on marijuana, nothing else. Well, I've also read that LSD was in the mix. I mean, they got into all kinds of shenanigans. Apparently, at one point, his brother Dennis was hobnobbing across America, picking up hitchhikers. And he picked up these hitchhikers and brought them back to his place. Mm. One of them had some musical talent and was a fairly good songwriter, according to Dennis. And Brian listened to his stuff and said, yeah, he is pretty good. Maybe we should, you know, kind of cultivate this guy. This guy's name happened to be Charles Manson. Manson, Manson, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who they later jettisoned. Right. But some of the contacts made through that association Mm -hmm. ended up as part of this murder thing. 
Sharon Tate, 69 murders. That's right. Manson was uh, convicted and sentenced to life and just died in November of 2017 at the age of 83. When you were talking about Pocket Symphony, yeah. that quote is associated with Derek Taylor. And Derek Taylor had done the Beatles publicity. Right. And he took the Beach Boys on too at the time. Yeah. And when he first heard Good Vibrations, he said, I call that a Pocket Symphony. <laughs> and the Capitol execs <laughs> loved that tune. Yeah. That- now, it was tough getting it on radio, apparently, because it was three minutes and 35 seconds long, which is a bit long for those days. For those you know, right. the tunes, are usually two plus minutes often. Mm-hmm. And so it took some doing, but they managed to get it on there. Yeah, air. which kind of set a precedence for all other artists, too, because right. songs were all changing at that time. The two-minute song was really disappearing quickly. Yeah, well, by the time Light My Fire came along, exactly. it was six plus minutes mm-hmm. long, right? Yeah. And they ended up playing that. Mm-hmm. Tell us the story of how the name Good Vibrations happened and the dog and stuff. Well, apparently when he was a young boy, he was out with his mother and uh, was frightened by a dog. Mm -hmm. And his mother apparently turned to him and to paraphrase, she said, animals pick up on vibes, people's vibes. Yeah. And uh, that stuck with him. And so when they were coming up with a title... For mm-hmm. the song Good Vibrations, that had an influence uh-huh. on that title Interesting. being decided on. And he also heard voices in his head at a certain point. Yeah, that's where you get the affected schizophrenia. Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of artists, really, you could almost call them schizophrenic because artists tend to hear voices, see visions. Mm-hmm. You know, in a way, it, it kind of brings up the whole notion of, is creativity something that is born out of either distress or psychological turmoil that turns the person inward even more. And in that inner place, these uh, ideas and thoughts and feelings all kind of come out and merge into a creation mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the Beach Boy songs, like Sloop John B., I'm so tired, I want to go home. I just want to go home. And it's just this sort of sadness built into a lot of his melodies. Which was in part what he was experiencing. I'm so broke up. I just want to go. go home. How about that song, In My Room? You ever listen to that? In My Room, yeah, yeah. You talk about solitude and introspection. Right, and he was in his room for two and a half years, yeah. in bed mostly, mm-hmm. in that middle period. Exactly. In the late 60s. Yeah, and so, he was only in his mid-20s. Yeah, but he's still alive. Yeah, he's still alive and performing. And performing. He, I think he came out with an album in 2004 where he released Good Vibrations as part of the album. Mm-hmm. Right? So it never made it into the album called Smile that it was supposed to make it into. Mm-hmm. That album was not made until 2004 when Brian Wilson himself put out an album and included Good Vibrations in it, mm-hmm. uh, which got great response. So a very interesting story, I think, in the annals of musical history in North America. Oh, absolutely, because also the Beatles dominated that period, even though there were a lot of big names, a lot of big names. Yeah. And they sort of eclipsed a few things which are now coming out because we also have access to so much more information. This is part of the 
whole internet digital age yep. thing that's happening. Yep. And we're able to go back and pull things out and remastering. And of course, there's also music streaming like Spotify, for example, and Apple Music, which is bringing all these back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Remixing, remastering. Yes, uh, but also the discussions about them. And as I said, the, the times. And we are in interesting times now, Yeah, uh, which some people even kind of connect to what was happening. The turmoil that was happening in the 60s and early 70s, Yeah, in many ways, that's happening now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the world is a different place now than it was before the turn of the century, let's say. This song came out in 1966, like 50 years ago. And I was listening to it in my parents' cigar store on the radio, Chum FM, and grooving to all those Beatles tunes on this Billboard chart and the Beach Boys, all those tunes. So what else can we say about this great pocket symphony other than it's full of good vibrations? And it really is a transcendent tune. And we want to thank Brian Wilson for turning up on our program. So there it is. We want to thank the folks in... Midway, Canada, Washington, Virginia. Geraldton. Ashburn, Virginia. Ashburn, Virginia. Whitby, Canada. Mississauga, Richmond Hill, Cambridge. Yeah. We have a few listeners scattered all over the world, actually. We've got some in Italy, in Germany, Sweden, England, Vietnam, South Korea, and Uruguay. We want to hear from all of you. TheSillPodcast.com has everything. You can launch in every direction from there. Just go to TheSillPodcast.com right on the homepage, and you'll see all the icons at the top of the page, which will link you to Facebook, Twitter, whatever you'd like. And on the page itself, we've got voice messaging capability right there. Just click a button and record your voice. And there you go. Well, I'm going to grab my surfboard, head down to Lake Ontario, and hit the big surf. You're going to hit the big surf? Hit the big surf on Lake Ontario. (laughs) Well, let's hit the Nottawasago River just in our backyard. Sure, why not? Get the board out. Let's do it. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, ciao. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Good, 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 good vibration.